Donald Trump surrenders in Fulton County, Georgia, self-reporting that he is six foot three and weighs 215 pounds. Just for reference, that is the same height and weight as Muhammad Ali in his prime. Donald Trump takes that horrifying, weird and deranged mugshot, which he is now selling as merch on his social media platform. And the MAGA cult and propagandists loved it. One problem, most Americans were utterly, utterly repulsed by this entire ordeal, especially that deranged mugshot. A lot is happening, folks, in the Fulton County, Georgia, Rico criminal case. That's being prosecuted by Fawny Willis. That's to be expected, right? This is a case involving Donald Trump and 18 other co-defendants for trying to overthrow a free and fair election in Georgia and throughout the country. So a lot of motions, a lot of filings, a lot happening. Don't worry, we will keep track of it all for you. Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and disgraced ex Department of Justice official Jeffrey Clark, both co-defendants, they tried to block being arrested this past week in federal court. That failed. And then they and some other co-defendants have been trying and they continue their efforts with some evidentiary hearings being set to try to remove the criminal case that was filed in state court in Fulton County Superior Court to federal court, and there is a big evidentiary hearing with respect to Mark Meadows on Monday, August 28th. It's going to be like a mini trial. We will tell you everything you can expect about that hearing, and then we'll cover some of these other removal filings by these other co-defendants, which make some of the most frivolous arguments, I think, imaginable. I'll get Popak's take. Also, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee has set trial for October 23rd, 2023, for at least one Trump co-defendant, Ken Chesbrough, after Chesbrough demanded a speedy trial, and Phony Willis was like, okay, I'm ready to go. In fact, let's try every one of these defendants, October 23, 2023, as well. Then Trump co-defendant Sidney Powell said, release the Kraken again, and she requested a speedy trial, which must have pissed Chesborough off, who clearly does not want to be shoulder to shoulder with Sidney Powell. Then Trump had to file a motion saying, wait, 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 I'm not ready to go October 23rd, 2023. So that all took place. We'll break it down. August 28th, which I mentioned is that big evidentiary hearing for Mark Meadows, is also the date of a big hearing in the Washington, D.C. federal case against Donald Trump being prosecuted by special counsel Jack Smith, where Donald Trump is accused of trying to overthrow the 2020 election and our democracy. Federal Judge Tanya Chutkin, in that matter, has set a trial setting conference. She's expected to set trial on that date. Jack Smith has requested January 2nd, 2024, for the case to proceed to trial, and Donald Trump has requested April 2026. We'll talk about what we expect to go down there. Jack Smith responded also this past week to Judge Eileen Cannon's request that she made on her own, which is called sua sponte, 
to explain, she demanded that Smith explain the propriety of having a Washington, D.C. grand jury still exist, by the way, no longer exists, but at that time still exist while he prosecutes Donald Trump in Florida before Judge Cannon for Trump's conduct in stealing top secret and classified government records and other national defense information, engaging in obstruction of justice and making false statements. So special counsel Jack Smith responds to Judge Cannon with a very powerful reply brief explaining, here's what happened in Washington, D.C. in the grand jury. You see the key witness, employee number four, Yusel Tavares, came back to us in July and admitted that he lied to that very same Washington, D.C. grand jury back in March of 2023 when he was still being represented by a lawyer paid for by Donald Trump. That's why we still had to go to that D.C. grand jury. In other words, Cannon, be careful what you ask for. So then after Jack Smith files that very powerful brief, what happens? That Trump paid for an appointed lawyer for Yusel Tavares, who's also representing a co-defendant, then goes and whines to Judge Cannon and says, Judge Cannon, Jack Smith is talking about what took place in the grand jury. He's violating everything. Judge Cannon asked for this to happen. And then Judge Cannon says, okay, I hear you. I, I, I know we may have screwed, basically she says this, I, I know we may have screwed this up. Trump uh, paid for a lawyer. So so submit another brief to me. T -t -t Tell me what you think I should do. We'll break that down. And finally, John Eastman, Trump's former lawyer and current co-defendant, make attorneys get attorneys, make attorneys get arrested, loses his effort to abate and delay the state bar proceedings taking place in California, where his law license will likely be revoked shortly. A pretty scathing order by the state bar court there. Michael Popak, always an honor and a pleasure to spend these weekends with you, breaking down all the events of this week, and an eventful one indeed. Yeah, it's um, the problem The problem Donald Trump's going to have in Fulton County, and we're going to get to it in Georgia is that, and I'm actually surprised he hasn't tried to remove it. And he's basically waived his ability to remove at this point. Once he's filed his motion with the judge to ask for a status conference, allowing McAfee to take jurisdiction, he's going to be stuck in Fulton County. And the problem with being stuck in Fulton County is that he's stuck with a lot of people who don't line up with his interests in terms of strategy. Although I want to talk about Ken Chesbro, Cheeseboro, whatever his name is, and why he may be a stalking horse for Donald Trump. But he's got seven, 18 other defendants who all are not. There's a mismatch or could be a mismatch between their goals and desires and his own. And he's left having to sort of figure out strategy as he retains a new lawyer, fires the old lawyer after the old lawyer, uh, uh, Drew Findling, worked out the conditions of release uh, for him. And then he was promptly fired and replaced because, you know, Donald Trump, when he does, when things don't go his way, he just fires the lawyers. And so we're going to see what's going to happen. But this stark comparison, and I'm going to do a hot take on it, between federal practice in the hands of a judge like Judge Chutkin, put Canada aside for a minute, because she's sui generis, she's by herself. And what's going on in Fulton County and the things that we're seeing that Fawny Willis is in complete control of and an expert on how to pull the levers of justice in a state court system, it's a stark contrast. And they're going to whipsaw between Jack Smith and Tanya 
Kachukin on one hand and Judge McAfee, maybe Judge Jones in federal court and, and Fonnie Willis on the other hand are just going to whipsaw the same criminal defendant in the middle, which is Donald Trump. I'm excited to talk in a little bit about Ken Chesbrough because he made that speedy trial demand in state court, ostensibly trying to call Fawny Willis's bluff by saying, hey, I'm ready for trial right now. Chesbrough, before becoming a criminal co-defendant of Donald Trump, was actually a fairly decently respected, uh, you know, uh, appellate lawyer. He litigated in federal court. And I think that he, to your point, there's a big difference between litigating and being a criminal defendant, especially in state court versus federal court. So the moment he was like, all right, I want my speedy trial, Phony Willis was like, okay, October 23rd, we're ready to go. Here's all the discovery. <laughs> You're going to trial, buddy. And not only that, you just potentially screwed over in a good way for justice, all of your other co-defendants, because now I want... Yeah, I was saying that maybe these other cases should go to trial in March, uh, March 4th of 2024. But Chesbro, you're ready. So everyone else should be ready, Judge McAfee. Order them all ready. Here's your discovery. She said that two terabytes of discovery are ready. And you're right. She knows that court better than anybody. And it ain't like federal court as well. And I like that. I mean, the way I like to kind of think about it, you know, and, and this is, uh, you know, it, it may not be an apt comparison, but state court in general is a little bit more like a street fight, right? And federal court has kind of all of these rules and, you know, and, and, and things like that. And so Ken Chesborough, I think, was not prepared when he did that to try to call her bluff that she was like, you just handed me the biggest gift ever. And then the judge was like, yeah, okay, October 23rd, 2023, we'll set the there, date. There's two There's two or three things to unpack from that that I like what you just said. One is Scott McAfee, the judge, only been on the bench six months, 34 years old. He's asserting jurisdiction right out of the box. Nothing, you, you want to see a judge who is indecisive and sitting on a knife's edge, go down to Judge Cannon in, in Florida. You want to see a judge who's decisive, so knows true. the rules in his courtroom, or is at least being properly coached by his staff? It's Judge it's Judge McAfee. He's like, bond conditions? Let's go. You guys negotiate it, bring it to me, I'll sign them. Conditions of release, social media, uh, don't, in, don't interfere with witnesses, don't use social media for that purpose, don't do bad things while you're out on probation, without a hearing, no hearing, as opposed to federal court where everything's a hearing. So you got Judge McAfee asserting jurisdiction. You want to take cases away from me and bring them to federal court? We got hearings next week. We're going to set trials. We're setting trials right now. That's one. Secondly, the question on Chesbro, and I want to get your, your opinion on this, is one of two things. He either miscalculated, although we haven't, about the preparedness of full steam ahead Fonnie Willis. We said that one of the reasons she had that delay for which she took a little bit of late night TV show uh, uh, criticism because people said, oh, I thought you said it was imminent March to August. That's not imminent. But what she's doing from March to August between the time she ended um, her special purpose grand jury and the time she got her indictment once she opened the regular grand jury three weeks later is that she was continuing to develop her case. She got eight fake electors to cooperate with her. She got new evidence that wasn't present before, and she fine-tuned the claims that the, the, the criminal counts she was going to bring. And she wasn't going to go for the indictment until she was ready to go to trial. 
and as opposed to I'll go to tr- I'll get the indictment, but I'll have a year to prepare because there'll never be a trial before that. Fonnie Willis knew better and outplayed that. Now there's there's there is one issue that's been raised in the media, and I want to get your opinion on this, Ben. Either Ken Chesbro is completely without coordination with anybody in the Trump camp, just decided what's right for him is to go as quickly to trial as possible. And Sidney Powell now has said, me too. And he got what he wished for. He's either done that on his own because he just cares about his own self-interest, or he's decided in coordination with Donald Trump to let him be the first test case. Because if the judge does bifurcate this and severs the case, which is going to be the next big issue for Judge McAfee to decide, is whether any or all of the 19, along with Donald Trump leading, are going to be severed and tried in their own case or cases. If Because that's what, that's what Trump's also seeking. He wants a scheduling order to talk about trial date. He also wants to cut himself off from all the others, including Ken Chesbro. If if that's the case and Chesbro goes first in October and Donald Trump goes later and Chesbro wins, in other words, he gets acquitted, then that's helpful, of course, to somebody like Donald Trump further down the line. If he gets convicted, then that's the first domino to drop against Donald Trump. Puts a lot of pressure on Fawny Willis's office. She's ready and up to the test. But I want to get your opinion. Do you think Chespro is just on his own, fuck, F it, I'm going to try to uh, stampede the prosecutor into trying a case she's not ready for? Or is he the stalking horse for Donald Trump to see if he can get acquitted and that helps Donald Trump down the path? Going to answer that question, but let me kind of frame it uh, this way first. The Chesbro trial is going to be on TV. In Georgia, cameras are in the courtroom. There's already been an order approving cameras in the courtroom. So the Chesbro trial in October, because it's part of a RICO criminal enterprise, we're going to see on trial together, and we're going to broadcast it live here on the Midas Touch Network, all of the criminal acts of this enterprise and a lot of the evidence is going to relate to Donald Trump. Chesbro was a lawyer for Donald Trump and a criminal co-conspirator and now a criminal defendant with Donald Trump who was inextricably involved uh, and intertwined in the fake elector scheme and having state legislatures try to overthrow the results of their election. There are memos, there are emails from Chesbro where we've done hot takes on it. So I just want to make let people remind them this is all going to be on TV. Here's what I think Chesbro's calculation was. Now, Salty, pull up the photo of all of the mugshots of all of the co-defendants that were recently booked in Fulton County, if we have that right there. Okay, so this is the crew right here. And on the top right, you have Ken Chesbro, just, you know, and I think Ken Chesbro, Ken Chesbro looked at this, you know, but this, this hadn't been created yet, but he knew, he knew the players, right? And Chesbro's like, no, to borrow your, your word, Popak, no effing way. I am not going to be doing a trial with the Stanley Kubrick googly eye. <laughs> Clockwork orange, yeah, shining. He goes, he, he goes, I am not doing a trial with these people because I'm going to get, no matter what, even if I were innocent, and he's absolutely not, in my opinion, 
Um, he's like, they're going to convict me just by being next to these people is, you know, because these are, a, it's a criminal enterprise right there. And so I think that was part of his calculation. The funny reason right there, <laughs> salty, salty reads my mind now, why it backfired though, is then Powell requested the same thing. So now Chesbro not only may get this you know, he will get the super speedy trial by Georgia law. It has to take place in October of 2023. He's now going to be shoulder to shoulder with Sidney Powell, like the worst of the bunch. And so that's ultimately why it backfires well. And just for those wondering, what is this speedy trial thing in Georgia? Let me just kind of break it down for you, you know, like this. You're going to answer my question eventually, right? I'm going to. All right. I'm just making sure. The, 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 well, I think I, to be fair, I think I answered the question. I think that his whole, that the reason that he did it was because he does not want to be in a, he, he's not coordinating it because he okay. does not want to be with those 18 other people. That was his plan. I think he actually wanted to call the bluff of Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis. And, and this other part with the building blocks that I was building to, I think also answers your question because in Fulton County, Georgia, in Georgia in general, if the case does not go to trial within the term that the court currently is in, where a speedy trial demand is made, or in the next term, which would be what's called, in Fulton County is the September term, which ends November 1st, if a jury is not seated by November 1st before Judge Scott McAfee in that case, it automatically gets dismissed under Georgia law. So it's a long-winded answer, Popak, but I wanted to give people, <laughs> you know, the you know what I think the strategy was, and I think I think specifically though it, it was to call her bluff. I do not believe it's coordinated, yeah, because everyone's doing like we're going to talk in a little bit. Meadows is doing this. Jeff Clark is making this argument. Then you have these, you know, and then you have these fake electors like David Schaefer. And, and 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 others still, right there, Kathy yeah. Kathy Latham, Stills, the state senator, and they're making arguments to a federal judge that by virtue of being fake and fraudulent electors, that they're federal officers. That's their argument I, for federal jurisdiction. I, that I think it's yeah, I think it's interesting that we said last week. I said uh, the, the most interesting thing to me last week was that nineteen are not coordinated, or at least didn't appear to be. Trump has decided, and it hasn't gotten much press, maybe we'll do a hot take on it, to stay in state court. He's effectively right. decided to stay in state court and let the federal and let Meadows and others try their hand at an Obama appointee judge, Judge Jones. It's, and it's not even like he gets the opportunity to like to see what'll happen and then follow behind. He's already now um, invoke the jurisdiction of the state court with his recent filing. He's got to stay with McAfee. So he's calculated with Steve Sadow, the new lawyer that he's hired, whose last case with Fonnie Willis resulted in a conviction under RICO. Just <laughs> I know everybody's saying Sadow's a master trial lawyer, and he may know his way around the Fulton County Courthouse, but the last rapper that he represented pled guilty to a RICO statute with Fawny Willis on the other side, or is convicted. So let's put that aside for a minute. He has decided 
that Donald Trump's decided, I think he's had enough with federal court, even though he's got a favorable judge selection, it appears to be in Judge Cannon. Chutkin, of course, he doesn't like at all. We know that from his own social media postings. And here he's willing to roll the dice in state court, maybe with the with this new horse that he's now decided to ride, which is Scott Sadow. I don't know. I'm still I I'm gonna do a hot take on it. I'm I'm still thinking about whether we're not giving enough credit to, although Sadow's new, so it would be hard to coordinate when you're newly you're newly in. But you know, if that if they didn't coordinate, there is a benefit to Donald Trump that somebody goes first and it's not named Donald Trump, if if they are able to win. Now the chances of winning have have for me have gone down. Uh, tremendously since Sidney Powell got tied to cheese to Chesbro. I'm not sure how much of the conspiracy they were involved, although, you know, Sidney Powell, along with Giuliani, is one of the, the co-captains of Team Crazy and and the litigators out there, while Chesbro was the, the the captain of Team Fake Electors with his memos and his analysis and his scheming and all of that, along with John Eastman. So they're not as as natural. Um, of a pair, but they, you know, this is a shotgun, this is a shotgun wedding. Sidney Powell said, me too. And others still haven't been heard from. So he's not going to be alone. And the more he's not alone, as you said, Ben, and the more he's with the other crazy co-conspirators, the better it is for Fawny Willis. But I still got to wrap my mind around if there is a benefit to Donald Trump. There is one if they win. There isn't one if they lose. And you're right, he's probably... It doesn't look like it could be Donald Trump, the puppet master, not with a new lawyer who just got brought in the last week. It's a great point and the waiver argument by you right there. And I, I, I'm not sure if it is officially would be deemed to be a waiver, but I can assure you that if Donald Trump does say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, the evidentiary hearing went in Mark Meadows' favor on Monday, which I don't think it will. But you know, right. it, 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 it could be a close call, and you and I will discuss that the that the at least the Meadows hearing is not frivolous. It's not frivolous. And Eleventh Circuit law is Eleventh um, Circuit law could make it go either way, which is why I think that's the Court of Appeals that oversees Georgia. But 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 Popak, these people are not. You want to know how I know they're not coordinated? This is not a sophisticated group. Just as you know, like as we're recording this live, this is what event is being held by the MAGA Republicans. And this is one of their leaders with Eric Trump. Here, just play this clip. why are we blowing the shofar that was at an event (laughs) that was that that was led by eric trump and michael flynn kicking off the festivities by attempting to call for the armor of god for donald trump by blowing the shofar and it did not go well that's what was taking place well, there. well, so, to 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 your to your point though, when you put that, we don't have to put the picture back up. But look, they were not great at coordinating the activity that led to the indictment for the conspiracy. Okay, they were lousy at it, and this is one of the reasons they got yeah. caught. And they got, you know, we're going to talk later about 
the things that when we get to meadows and removal, and I agree with you, it's on a knife's edge a little bit under the case law, but I think Fawny Willis is going to put on a great show on Monday that uh, will not be televised. We'll have to report on it, but we can tell from the witnesses when we get there how she's going to put on her her case about this is not about presidential activities, federal officers supporting a president. This is about campaigning activities as candidate Trump tries to cling to power and pointing to the things that Meadows did that were really bad within the state that he can't possibly argue are chief of staff activities. Having said that, all you know, the fact that they even had, let's just talk about the fingerprints that they left all over the glass related to their crimes. The fact that Donald Trump, who was allergic to having any piece of paper in his career, this is why he used to rip papers up as a matter of habit and shove them down toilets and whatever else as his staff in the White House tried to piece it back together again because they're presidential records, because he never wrote emails. He never he never did recorded things and he never did anything on paper, except when he got so desperate that he then then he started to he got sloppy and he made phone calls arranged by Mark Meadows into the various states. He Mark Meadows flew into states like Georgia. I mean, this is the work of a sloppy group that's leaving evidence and and um, and proof against them all over the place. So you're right. Why am I shocked that now when they're all facing trial with 19 different attorneys? all represented by different attorneys, including one guy who can't even figure out a way to get out of jail because he couldn't meet his bond conditions. One of the 19 still sitting in jail. Right. Why would I think there's any level of coordination currently going on? And and the one who you mentioned is Harrison Floyd, who's still sitting in jail. Um, Harrison Floyd was involved with Trevian Cuddy or Cootie, um, who is Kanye was at one point Kanye West publicist and but known as kind of a right wing extremist type person. Um, and she, and they collectively engaged in the harassment um, and threats, it's alleged to Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss. I mean, there's there's video of it as well um, of, of what they did. And they threatened them that if they didn't basically, you know, uh, lie and say that the election was stolen and, and lie about themselves, that bad things were going to happen to them. That was all part of Giuliani's plan. So you, you see why this is charged as a cre- as a criminal RICO enterprise, because all of these kind of tentacles, um, you know, ultimately at the top, it's being run by kind of Donald Trump and Meadows and uh, Eastman and Giuliani and Chesbrough, but then you have even kind of foot soldiers like Trevian Cuddy and Harris Floyd, who are threatening Georgia election workers and threatening their safety and their security if they don't lie and further this absurd conspiracy to overthrow uh, the election. By the way, Harrison Floyd we have learned when the Department of Justice FBI served him with a subpoena back in February of 2023, attacked the FBI agent, like assaulted the FBI agent and then was arrested for that as well. Just so you understand, like what's what's all going on, you know, here. with, and with he all was of a, these different- Yeah. And he was a former, you know, fake AstroTurf leader of black voices for Trump. Um, you know, th- this is how he got this is how he got involved in all of this. So yeah, that. But I, your your point is well made, which is, um, and now we're going to look as Donald Trump now does 
because um, he's he's sitting on the sidelines on this issue as we move over to what's going to happen Monday in a federal court hearing, which is now going to become a full-blown mini-trial evidentiary hearing, much like what you and I talked about when Judge Hellerstein in the Southern District of New York held a very similar evidentiary hearing in which Donald Trump tried to drag the Stormy Daniels criminal prosecution. We don't talk about that much lately, but that's still on a criminal docket for March in state court. Donald Trump didn't like state court then, although he seems to have fallen in love with it now, and tried to drag it across the street to the federal court, but pulled Judge Hellerstein, a Clinton appointee who held a full evidentiary hearing, which gave the prosecutor in that case the ability to put on a mini version of their prosecution and have a federal judge say, yeah, it's more likely than not he committed a crime. This is what could happen again on Monday when when Mark Meadows tries to get out from under and argues, "I, I need to be tried in federal court, not in state court, although he's already been arrested and processed because Judge Jones, the federal judge, didn't bail out him or bail out Clark or anybody else that was like, don't make me get arrested. Don't make me get processed in state court. I've got good arguments for dismissal in federal court. And the judge was like, yeah, I'll see you Monday. Go, go, you, go get processed. Um, and they're going to have this full-blown, untelevised hearing that that uh, we can jump into now about the uh, witnesses that we already know Fawny Willis is going to bring in because she subpoenaed them. Right. So just building the timeline for everybody, right? August 14th, the Fulton County grand jury votes to indict Donald Trump and the 18 co-defendants for this sprawling RICO racketeering case, right? Um, The next day, August 15th, and that includes all of the individuals you've seen in the mugshots. The next day, literally the next day, August 15th, Mark Meadows files a notice of removal to bring the uh, state court criminal case to a federal court before the Northern District of Georgia District Court. And then it got assigned to Judge Steve Jones. And then throughout the week, a bunch of other people have also made arguments to try to file notices of removal, making arguments why they think their case should be removed to federal court as well. But Mark Meadows was first. Um, And so Mark Meadows, because he filed it first, he got the first evidentiary hearing on August 28th. uh, So on on Monday of next week, Jeffrey Clark, the disgraced ex-DOJ official, also filed a notice of removal um, saying that he was a federal official, so it should go to federal court. Um, and also uh, numerous of these other fake electors from, uh, David Schaefer, uh, who, uh, Kathy Latham, um, that the state Senator MAGA Republican stills, um, and, and, and a few others also filed for removal. Let's deal with kind of the Meadows first, and then we could kind of, I think, summarily dismiss of the fake electors arguments because I think theirs are so frivolous. And then we'll give some attention to Jeff Clark, although the evidentiary hearing for Jeff Clark has been set by federal judge Steve Jones for mid-September. So it's not as imminent. And we will cover that, of course, in more detail as we get to Um, as we get closer to that evidentiary hearing. And a lot of our learning will be informed by what Judge Jones ultimately does with Mark Meadows. So in order for a case to, to be removed from state court to federal court in a criminal case like this, a criminal defendant must prove three things. Once that they are a federal officer, 
two, that they are acting under the color of authority of federal law, that they are were doing their duties as expected of a federal officer and a federal official, and three, that they have credible federal defenses. They have to prove all three elements. So going by what Popak said before, as it related to when Donald Trump tried to remove the Manhattan District Attorney State Court criminal case against Donald Trump for the hush money payments and fraudulent classification of business records to federal court, Judge Hellerstein said, look, for the sake of argument here, we'll say Donald Trump is a federal official. But let's go to number two. Was this done under the color of authority of his official duties as that federal officer? And Judge Hellerstein was like, no way. Hush money payments to porn star that you had three seconds of, 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 of intercourse with, and then you wanted to cover it up for a 2016 election. What does that have to do with being a federal officer? Denied. And then what happens is called a remand where the case gets then remanded, sent back to state court. In criminal cases, unlike civil cases, um, when a notice of removal is filed to federal court, the notice itself does not stay or pause the state court proceedings. In a civil case, it would serve to pause it. So the state court criminal proceedings can continue to go while the court is holding these evidentiary hearings so it doesn't slow down the state court criminal proceedings. So Donald Trump's in New York was not slowed down at all. It, it didn't affect the trial date, which is May 24th or 25th of, of 2024. It didn't impact it at all. And then the court granted the remand. Here, Jeff Clark and Mark Meadows, though, in their own unique ways, tried to get the federal judge to intervene before the evidentiary hearing to block Fulton County Jail, to block the Fulton County Sheriff's from trying to even arrest Meadows and Clark and Judge Jones before even getting to this issue of the removal, said, you know, heard the arguments from Fawny Willis, it was, and she made the arguments correctly that until the federal court makes a determination that there is jurisdiction, the principles of federalism apply and a federal court cannot intervene and stop state court uh, criminal cases from proceeding until there's a determination through an evidentiary hearing or otherwise that there is federal jurisdiction. So because that finding of federal jurisdiction has not been made, that's why Mark Meadows got booked. That's why Jeff Clark got booked. And that's why their request to try to block or pause the state court proceedings was rejected by Judge Jones under principles of federalism. Kind of ironic, right? People who talk about states' rights like Meadows and others actually don't mean it when it comes to them and they want a federal judge to block state criminal prosecutions when they find themselves um, and their privilege being challenged when they're involved in a, in a criminal enterprise. So I wanted to just frame it. I'm going to toss it over uh, to Popak to now that we now that we have the law. Remember, it's this three-step process. Are you a federal officer under color of authority of federal law? And do you have credible federal defenses? Mark Meadows claims he satisfies that test. Fawny Willis claims he does not satisfy that test. Meadows filed a reply. Hearing on Monday, Popak's going to break it down right after we take our quick first break. Heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have a family that you want to be able to spend as much time with as possible, 
is so, so important. We all have a heartfelt reason to support our blood pressure. In fact, more than half the U.S. population would benefit from blood pressure support. Super Beats Heart Chews are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure, and they promote heart-healthy energy. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Super Beats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. And with over 30,000 five-star reviews and counting, Super Beats Heart Chews are having their moment. Super Beats Heart Chews are incredibly delicious and so much better than any alternative supplements out there. I take my Super Beats Heart Chews each morning and it really kickstarts my morning routine. After taking my Super Beats Heart Chews, I feel like I have more energy and I'm ready to take on the day. Super Beats Heart Chews are effective and clinically studied. They are the number one pharmacist recommended beat brand for cardiovascular health support. It's blood pressure support you can trust. Double your potential with Super Beats Heart Chews. Get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews and 15% off your first order by going to GetSuperBeats.com and using promo code LegalAF. That's GetSuperBeats.com, code LegalAF. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I was tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional basis every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, immune system support, and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I drink AG in the morning to start my day. It makes me feel unstoppable and ready to take on anything. And on top of it all, I'm doing something good for my body. I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves, and I'm covering my nutritional basis. I've tried a ton of different supplements out there, but this is different. And the ingredients are super high quality. I got started with AG1 because I used to take all these different pills and gummies, who knows what, and frankly, what I was taking was expensive, and I didn't even know if it was good for me. But with AG1, I know what I'm consuming has the best ingredients and also tastes delicious. AG1 makes it easier for you to take the highest quality supplements, period. When I started my AG1 journey, very quickly I noticed that it helps me with improved digestion, energy, and overall, I just feel great. It's just one scoop of powder mixed with water, once a day, making it a seamless and easy daily habit to maintain. I'm asked all the time about the one thing I'd do to take care of my health if I could only pick one. It'd be foundational nutrition, and AG1 is a top foundational nutrition product. Just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition I need and supports energy, focus, strength, and clarity with 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food-sourced ingredients. I can't think of another daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, which is why I trust the product so much. If you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash legalaf. That's drinkag1.com slash legalaf. Check it out. Michael Popak, where we last left off, I talked about the three-part test for removal of a criminal case to federal court. Do you think Mark Meadows satisfies that test? I think it's actually going to be, unfortunately, under 11th Circuit case law, 
a close call because it is a low threshold. And Mark Meadows' lawyers made clear to probably say low bar, low threshold, I don't know, 50 times in their brief. Well, let me do it this way. I don't think it matters a hill of beans. I don't want anybody to want to manage expectations here. Mark Meadows ends up in federal court. He, he, Fonnie Willis comes along for the ride. Georgia state law comes along for the ride. The reason they're trying it, because we talked about mechanics, let's talk about rationale strategy, is because they think they've got a better shot at ultimately arguing supremacy clause immunity under the U.S. Constitution to argue that you can't you can't indict a federal officer for committing a crime for doing his job under the federal under the federal uh, case law the constitutional jurisprudence related to it and they'd rather do that in federal court not so much because they'd love judge jones not the greatest pick for them there were four trumpers that they, that could have got pulled up by uh, random selection on the uh, on the northern district of uh, Georgia, which is where Atlanta sits, but and the Eleventh Circuit is a little bit of a mixed bag, at least how they've handled Judge Cannon, who also reports to her bosses at the Eleventh Circuit in Atlanta. But Judge Pryor, you know, is a good judge. They want to try to get a good Judge Pryor decision, and then go fast track to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's the reason that they're fighting for it because they think they'll never see a trial. It, they're hoping if they go federal, federal, federal. Now, as to the the uh, the case law, let's talk first about what the hearing is going to, the shape and contours of the hearing. Fawny Willis is going to argue that there is no way, uh, which is her best argument, there's no way that Mark Meadows was performing his duties as chief of staff, like in his job description for chief of staff, that didn't include politically getting involved with candidate Trump's uh, attempts to cling to power and stop the peaceful transfer. They try to argue, well, this is just elect electoral certification. And okay, but even if it is electoral vote certification, the president of the United States under the Constitution has no role in electoral vote certification, and therefore his chief of staff doesn't either. The vice president, as the president tempore of the Senate, has the has some sort of constitutional duty in that world not the guy that's on the potential losing end he's just yes he's president of the United States until he's not but he's just candidate Trump at that point and the and the witnesses tell me that she's going and we know she's going Fonnie Willis what's called the Hatch Act and we haven't really talked too much on our show about the Hatch Act Hatch Act was passed in 1939. It's the name for the Hatch Act is the um, the Act to Prevent Pernicious Political Actions by Federal Officers. In other words, you're civil servants. You got a day job. What you're not allowed to do unless you're running for office yourself is you can't campaign and get involved with political activity because that's a that's a violation of the Hatch Act. Fawny Willis is going to hit them where they live and say, Mark Meadows, when the three big events that you did in Georgia, none of them are a part of you being a chief of staff. All of them are you wearing your political hat and Donald Trump uh, wearing his political hat. And if that's the case, then let's judge Jones. Let's take this out of being 
He's a federal officer, but not doing something under the color of his office. And therefore, under the three things that, Ben, you laid out, you need to have cherry, cherry, cherry to hit the jackpot. She's going to try to say he doesn't have the second one, which is that he was doing his job wearing his chief of staff hat. Now, the two witnesses are intriguing. One of them is Brad Raffensperger, who's the the current secretary of state. And he's going to testify, obviously, about the phone call that was made with Mark Meadows and Donald Trump, what Donald Trump refers to, you know, talking about a projection as the perfect phone call in which, you know, Donald Trump wanted Brad Raffensperger to find a way to throw out almost 12,000 votes and give the state over to Donald Trump and threatened him during that phone call. And Mark Meadows arranged and was on that phone call. So Raffensperger, I'm sure, and they've already spoken to him, so they know what his testimony is from the grand jury, is going to say, just just predicting here, that he did not think that Mark Meadows or Donald Trump were calling because of something related to a presidential issue. As part of chief of staff duties, they were calling because they wanted the candidate Trump to win in Georgia, and they were pressuring him in order to accomplish that. But the witness that could really blow a hole into the battleship of Mark Meadows' argument is the inspector or the um, chief investigator for the the uh, Secretary of State's Office of Investigation under Brad Raffensperger, Francis Watson has three different Mark Meadows events that he's going to testify to on Monday. All of them are bad for Mark Meadows in arguing that he didn't violate the Hatch Act and he's within his chief of staff duties, not his political operative duties. And they go in order and they're very short in in time. On December 22nd, on December 22nd of 2020, uh, Meadows... um, flew, flew to Cobb County, Georgia, right? To try to get into the room as the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, along with the the State Department of Georgia's Office of Investigation, of which Watson was the chief investigator, were doing a signature match audit of the votes in in Georgia. And this was in, in Cobb County. And Meadows tried to get in the room to observe. And he was strong-armed and stopped by Watson. So Watson's going to testify about 1222 in meeting Meadows in Cobb County and why he thought Meadows was there and what Meadows told him about who he was there representing. And I bet you what what Watson's going to say is that he was told that he was there on behalf of the Trump campaign, not the Trump presidency. And that's fate. That's one That's one bad thing against Meadows. But then the next day on 1223, uh, Meadows arranged a phone call between this investigator, uh, Watson, and Trump that Meadows participated in, in which Trump said to him, I won, and if you help me, it'll be a good thing for you. And he's going to testify about who he thought he was talking to there, a president about presidential issues or about a candidate trying to get votes to be changed in his favor. But the one that I think is the home run ball for Fawny Willis is is three days later, four days later, on the 27th of December, Watson's going to testify that Meadows texted him. So now you got a you got a meeting, a phone call, and a text. He texted him and asked if the Trump campaign volunteered financial assistance, in other words, paid him 
to help with the vote counting in Fulton County, would that make sure that it happened before or by Jan 6th? And in the text, Trump, uh, Meadows said he was he was there advocating on behalf of the Trump campaign. If the campaign paid you, well, campaign is Hatch Act. Hatch Act takes you out of being a federal officer doing a federal color of law thing. And this is going to be the along with whoever else she brings in, but those are the two we know by subpoena, that's going to be the focus on Monday that Jones is going to have to listen to and they're going to have to respond to about why is Meadows talking about the campaign if he's there just doing normal chief of staff stuff. And I go back to my original point, just to be clear, if the normal chief of staff stuff is helping your boss get reelected, that's campaign. If the normal chief of staff stuff is to help the president get involved with the electoral count, in which constitutionally he has no role, that's a loser argument. And then why did you put in in print, Mr. Meadows, why did you put in print that it was you were trying to provide the financial assistance of the Trump campaign in order to speed up, whether it was a bribe or not, because there's one argument that it was a, an attempted bribe, to speed up the, the vote counting process. Meadows is not going to take the stand, no way, no how, and waive his Fifth Amendment privilege on Monday. I'd be shocked if Mark Meadows takes the stand on Monday, which means they're going to have to make legal argument without too many witnesses and cross-examine chief, you know, the chief investigator, Francis Watson, and his interaction with Meadows and and Raffensperger and his interaction with Meadows with with Meadows on the sideline because there's no way he's going to be testifying. You think he testifies on Monday? Zero chance that <laughs> right. Meadows is going to be testifying. As the name suggests, an evidentiary hearing is just that. You have to show admissible evidence. But I think Mark Meadows in his reply brief has basically previewed the arguments that he's going to make. I don't think he's going to put on any witnesses at all, frankly. I think he's just going to request that the court take judicial notice that he was the chief of staff for Donald Trump. If I was the judge, I would rule in favor of Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis. I would grant a remand um, and send this case back to state court. I think Judge Jones still may do that. Here's the issue. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals case law says that the showing for removal is a very low threshold to make. And so what Meadows basically put in his reply brief is, hey, I was the chief of staff. That's clearly a federal office. Even if you argue that I acted outside the scope of what a chief of staff should or shouldn't do, some of the conduct I engaged in was arguably uh, in the work of what a federal official does, even if even if you, even if I committed a crime. So that alone, no matter what Raffensperger says, no matter what anyone else says, the mere minimal nexus to the fact that I held this position should be enough to go into federal court. And then, and this is where Meadows' lawyer was smart in framing it this way. Then, judge. We can then decide the issue of supremacy clause, immunity issues, and whether the case should be dismissed. And then Fawny Willis's arguments become more valid, you know, about was Meadows violating the Hatch Act? Was he engaged in all of this conduct? But Judge, right now you have to make the minimal threshold finding. Was there some nexus to federal official duties? 
And even if Meadows may have engaged in some acts outside the scope, maybe some things were within the scope. So I don't even think Meadows puts on any, or if he puts on any, it'll just be minimal, or he'll just use Fawnie Willis's witnesses and say, but you do acknowledge he was the chief of staff. You do acknowledge Brad Raffensperger that uh, scheduling meetings would be the type of task that a chief of staff does. Raffensperger, you're familiar with um, you know, the way politics works, right? You're the secretary of state. You, you do understand that a chief of staff's role is to help the, I'm not trying to make the arguments for him, you know, that he is a smart lawyer, but I want to let you all know where, where yeah. this hearing probably if, goes. And that's why I say it ultimately becomes a close call because I think the 11th circuit court of appeals, if not judge Jones ultimately says the mere fact that he's a chief of staff, even if he acted outside the scope, is enough to keep it in federal court. Finally, Pope, I can throw it back to you. Yeah. But your point is, yeah. oh, you're still in front of a judge. The case yeah. doesn't go away. Tony no. Willis is still prosecuting him under Georgia law. Yeah, and and I like I like your observation. I like the managing expectations. We've been doing that for almost three years on legal AF because we're not blowing smoke or sunshine. I agree with you. In the Eleventh Circuit case law, the threshold is she she's Fonnie Willis is going to have to run the table on Monday. And convince the judge that, that all the things that he just said, getting coffee for the president and scheduling meetings for the president and going to official buildings for the president, he's leaving out the second half of that sentence to, to further a conspiracy, to further, you know, uh, a cling to power, to further a, you know, all of that. That you're not allowed to do no matter what hat you're wearing. He, he wants to argue that he was always wearing that hat. And if he's wearing it temporarily in one area, that's enough as a federal officer. She'll argue it if she, if, if one of them loses, they're going to take it, I think. Although, let's, let's wrap when we, before we turn to the the others who are trying to get into federal court too, and how they're throwing Donald Trump under the bus and reinforcing the conspiracy in order to do that. Back to your point, there's no coordination among the 19, and that plays to the benefit of, of Fawnie Willis. Here's the question, Ben. If Meadows loses, I know they're going to take an appeal to the 11th Circuit. If Fawnie loses, although she doesn't like to lose anything, and she's she's definitely um, uh, you know flexing her muscle in her home court advantage of state court, with Judge Jones, even with the issues that are here, if she loses, do you think she automatically takes an appeal? Or does she say, all right, you want to stay in federal court with Jones? We'll stay here. There's no way that if she loses, the 11th Circuit's going to overturn Judge Jones, and she'll know mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, it, 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 she you may she take stays. one, but it'll be it'll be feud. The only chance is that the 11th Circuit would overturn Judge Jones if he remanded it. The 11th Circuit yeah. Court of Appeals is never going to overturn Judge Jones for for keeping the case. But um, that but doesn't mean, right? As we go to that, that doesn't mean the fake electors and the others that are trying to say. Donald Trump's lawyers told me to be a fake elector, and therefore I get to be, by extension, a type of federal officer under color of law, and I get to be in federal court too. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that's a win for them. 
Exactly. Meadows getting the case removed to federal court doesn't move the entire case. It's just as it relates yeah. to Meadows. So all of these other fake electors, the David Schaefer's, the Kathy Latham's, the other, the stills, the, these other fake electors, some who are saying, yeah, Donald Trump's lawyers told me that we were the real electors. Okay, you, you aren't. And, <laughs> and their arguments are some of the, the most frivolous removal arguments when I read them. Like you look at Kathy Latham's, for example, she's the former Republican chair of Coffee County. She's the one who let in people who worked for Trump into the Coffee County election offices to steal election data. <laughs> I love, I love like, the. There she is with her turquoise uh, little sweater there. Yeah, yeah, that's actually that, that that one's. I don't think that one is her, but she's. That's I think not she's, her. No, she, she's she's wearing the kind of pink one, um, oh. but her face is. But 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 anyway, here <laughs> another pull, co-conspirator. Pull, pull, pull up, pull up, pull up the mugshot. Uh, salty of, of everybody. I'll show you who, where, 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 where she is there. She is uh second row right under all Donald the to, yeah. all the way to the left, right? You know, yeah. right, right, right under Donald. That, that, that may, that may be, I, it's, it's hard to see from that angle, but anyway, she's one of those people walk, walking in and then she's in the office and then they steal the people's election data. And she argues because she was a fake elector that she is a federal official. Like that's just- uh, Wait, 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 wait. Because you, you didn't do the part where she screws Trump. That group is saying that it's like Schaefer, that they were, or they coordinated with Trump's lawyers, Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Powell. They coordinated with them and, and to become the fake electors, therefore through extension, through Trump and his lawyers. That can't be something that Donald Trump is happy about, that in order to get the federal court, they're reconfirming the evidence of the conspiracy. Well, uh, yes, and it's a frivolous, it's a frivolous <laughs> argument, but it's an incriminating argument for Donald Trump that that's the right. one they're making to right. remove it to federal court. But I at least want to acknowledge that because Meadows was a former chief of staff, he at least has a shot because yeah. uh, Jeff Clark was a former DOJ official. He satisfies the federal official prong, although I think Clark's conduct as it relates to the indictment had nothing to do with being a DOJ official. It was trying to overthrow the results of the election. And so I don't think Clark, I don't think Clark's is going to prevail at all, but we're going to watch what happens with Meadows because it will inform at least Clark, all the others are completely uh, and, and utterly frivolous. I agree with you. If Meadows wins, and you see, I think everybody listening and watching sees where we're where we're handicapping this, uh, the chance, the chances, the probability of Clark even getting it probably goes up a bit. It yep. probably moves the needle for Clark because even though he was an insane, out of control member of the Department of Justice, and and apparently for a, a minute, a blip in time, the actual acting Attorney General of the United States, a job that was offered to him by and accepted with a conversation with Donald Trump in the last days of the Trump administration, the Trump being in power, um, you know, and him writing draft letters to elected election officials in states like Georgia, telling them that the Department of Justice, this is all false, believe that there was fraud in the election and to put a pin in it and hold their results until there was, you know, which is all a lie, all concocted by by Jeff Clark. But the question is, you know, it was on Department of Justice letterhead and, he, and it is a part of the executive branch. Does he get to say, yeah, I was, you know, sort of out there, but I was out there as a federal official. It'll The needle will move slightly in his favor if Meadows prevails on Monday. Do you think we get the ruling on Monday or we get it sometime later in the week? 
We'll, we'll get it close. We'll, we'll have yeah. an indication, I think, where the judge is heading. We'll also see how many witnesses go because it may not wrap up in a one-day hearing. So we'll see. But yeah, Jeff Clark's argument will be, look, if you say I engaged in criminal conduct, that's fine. You can argue that I don't have immunity and I should just be prosecuted in federal court, but make those arguments in federal court. That doesn't mean it gets remanded to state court. While we're just on the topic of all of these co-defendants, it should be mentioned as well that John E. Eastman, one of Donald Trump's co-defendants, just uh, had his request to abate or to stay or to put an indefinite pause on the state bar of California proceedings against him. Uh, That was rejected by the state bar court of California. And they said, Eastman, you waived your right to even make this claim. You've testified in this case before. You've (laughs) invoked your Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination before the January 6th committee. And then you even referenced these state bar proceedings like two years ago. And then you invoked your Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination when you were called before the special purpose grand jury in Georgia, but not here before the Office of Chief Trial Counsel, before the State Bar of California, you've testified for like eight hours already. You don't get to now say you want to delay this indefinitely. And then the State Bar Court also said, you know, look, while while this court has not yet ruled uh, and made a final ruling about the conduct committed by John Eastman, but hint, hint, what has been presented thus far and what he is being accused of makes him a menace to the practice of law such that it is not in the public interest to delay this any further. So that was handed down last yeah. night. Well, let me comment on that so everybody understands. It is not necessary for a lawyer where you, Ben and I are lawyers, Karen is a lawyer. We hold a professional license. It's at the it's at the will of the regulators that we report to for whatever states we're a member of the bar of, and and it's not necessary that we be convicted of a crime in order for us to to be sanctioned, punished, or lose our bar license. Rudy Giuliani has not yet been convicted of a crime, but he's already forfeited his bar license in New York and in Washington, D.C., because there's enough evidence. It's the standard for getting sanctioned by a bar regulator is not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's preponderance of the evidence. And that and, and they've already sort of are finding that these people are a menace to their society. They got to be taken out of serving clients. The only state, just to leave it on this note, that has not saw, saw fit to punish or discipline a leading member of Team Crazy, Eastman, uh, Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, and Powell, is Texas with Sidney Powell because they all rallied around her and they found that, no, no, we're not going to... So she got no discipline whatsoever. She's been fined in different courts, but she hasn't had anything happen to her bar license out of Texas. And that's because we're talking about Texas. But just I just wanted to make it clear. It One doesn't have anything to do with the other. Whether he gets absolved or, or he, he's found not guilty in any of these criminal cases against him doesn't matter a whit. The bar regulators make their own determination based on the evidence that's presented to them, on the standard that's presented to them, whether they have violated the rules of professional conduct of that state, and whether they should be suspended or disbarred as a result. 
August 28th, or is that evidentiary hearing for Meadows? August 28th will also be a big hearing in Washington, D.C., federal court. I'll just mention this briefly. There's not much else to discuss until the hearing itself takes place because special counsel Jack Smith and Donald Trump's lawyers will be before federal judge Tanya Chutkin at a trial setting conference. Just to remind everybody, special counsel Jack Smith has requested January 2nd, 2024 as the trial date. And Donald Trump's lawyers have requested an April 2026 trial date. And just as a reminder, at the hearing that was held on Friday, August 11th, in connection with the protective order that Judge Chutkin issued, she warned Donald Trump's lawyers, if he continues this conduct of harassing and intimidating witnesses, that taints the jury pool. And as a result, I am more inclined to setting an early trial date if he continues down this path. It's it's really up to him. It's, it's his choice. I thought it was brilliant how she framed it. I think special counsel Jack Smith's lawyer, Tom Windham, who's been leading the proceedings before Judge Chutkin is going to raise that among a number of other uh, issues as 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 well, but say, no, we're ready to go January 2nd, 2024. Ultimately, I think that uh, it probably more looks like a February or March trial date if I were to guess, but I think she'll set an early 2024 trial date. Yeah. A couple of things. That docket has been awfully quiet, uh, although there was one event about a week ago where in that case, given uh, classified information, this is to show you with a, when you have a judge that's got a firm command of federal rules and jurisprudence in her courtroom, she knows how to enter a protective order. Um, so in that case, there's already a protective order that Donald Trump doesn't oppose about how to use classified information, which is part of even, even the Jan 6th insurrection, clinging to power, failure to transfer peacefully um, the reins of power to, to Joe Biden. Even that has classified information, not necessarily national defense information, but classified information that they, they that needs to be protected. They've already assigned a class a a, a SIPA uh, agent uh, officer, and they've already entered into a protective order. While when we get down to Mar-a-Lago in a minute, while you know Judge Cannon is still, I'm looking at my clock, my watch here, still in almost September, still jerking around with the protective order and what it and what it should say, and canceling and scheduling hearings, and then re. And then not scheduling them again. The so we'll get to that as a compare contrast between the two judges in a moment. But the lastly, for me, in the only thing that I thought would have been filed already, but maybe it will before Monday, although it's already Saturday, is that the DOJ has not filed anything to put the judge on notice about social media or other things that Donald Trump has done, which would, in their view, be violative of her conditions of release. I would have thought. Yes, they could they could bring it up on their feet while they're there. But I would have thought if they really wanted to press the issue, because everybody in our audience and even us as the commentators are like waiting for some judge to say enough. You have violated my conditions of release. You're beyond your first, your, your first Amendment rights. Stop at the water's edge of criminal justice and the proper administration of justice, as Judge Chutkin says, as Judge McAfee just said, um, and others. But it hasn't happened yet. And I would have thought if they were going to raise it, I would have seen a filing on Thursday 
Thursday or Friday, and I looked on the docket and I didn't see anything. So they can still mention it on their feet, but I think the focus, as you said, Ben, is going to be for Monday, is let's get the trial already. The, the sooner we get the trial, the more control we have over him. Let him keep talking. It's evidence in our favor anyway, eventually. The more he talks, the better it is. Like the Tucker Carlson interview, where, where that in, in lieu of a debate in which he said at the end, basically, it was a beautiful thing that happened on January 6th, basically promoting civil war. You know, that's just another, you know, type it up, put an exhibit tab on it. We're going to use it at trial. Uh, so, um, I, and I agree with you. I think she sets a trial that's a lot closer in time and certainly with a 24 at the end of it for the trial of Donald Trump in the District of Columbia and completely rejects this ridiculous argument about we can't be done until a year and a half later in, in 2026. That's not going to happen. Nothing that Judge Chutkin has said so far. It's the opposite of what she has said, which is I'm going to run a very tight ship here on a rocket docket. And if you step over any lines, it means I'm going to set a quicker trial. And she can't think, you know, even though it hasn't been brought to her attention in formal filings, she's got eyes, she's got ears, her clerks watch social media. They know what Donald Trump's done. They know the doxing that's happened with the grand jury through his through his proxies in in, in Georgia. And everybody's watching her. She, for me, she's, the judges like McAfee are watching her. She's, for me, the lead case. It's the one that's the most important to our system of government and to our democracy, not so much the Cannon case. And yes, Georgia is really important, but I think it's Judge Chutkin. And I think she wears that responsibility well, knows she has it. And then for me, therefore, all things point to some sort of 2024 trial date for Donald Trump. That brings us uh, to Judge Cannon as we held, as we head south to the Southern District of Florida, where on Friday she granted a motion for leave to file a surreply by Stan Woodward, Donald Trump's co-defendant, Waltine Nauta's lawyer. Donald Trump's co-defendants in that case for the willful retention of national defense information include his valet slash assistant, Waltine Nauta, who's represented by Stan Woodward, and Carlos de Oliveira, the head of maintenance at Mar-a-Lago, who's represented by John Irving. Both Woodward and Irving are paid for by Donald Trump's political action committee. Both Woodward and Irving serve as co-counsel for Pete Navarro together in Washington, D.C. in the contempt of Congress case, by the way, which which is set for trial the first week of September, uh, where Navarro refused to show up uh, and be deposed or produce documents in connection with the January 6th committee proceedings. Um, and so about two weeks ago or so, Judge Cannon, on her own, what's called sua sponte in Latin, so court term, which means on her own initiative, uh, basically demanded after special counsel Jack Smith filed what's called the Garcia uh, motion asking the court to hold a hearing about conflicts of interest that exist by the lawyers uh, that Donald Trump's paid for representing the various co-defendants who also represent witnesses who may want to testify as well against the co-defendants who the same lawyers are representing, having a lawyer's one client testify against the lawyer's other client or having even a lawyer's former client where the lawyer got all of these confidences testify against, say, Waltine and Nauta. And Judge Cannon on her own must have heard this argument on Fox because it took place the day before she issued her order 
It was on Fox on Sunday. She made the order on Monday about two weeks ago saying, and Jack Smith addressed the propriety of the Washington, D.C. grand jury that's still been receiving evidence while at the same time uh, I have jurisdiction over this federal criminal case now. Again, Judge Cannon trying to do exactly what she was overturned for back in 2022 by the 11th Circuit. Me, mine, I want that jurisdiction of the Washington, D.C. grand jury. Why aren't you bringing that to me so she can do her corrupt and incompetent Judge Eileen Cannon things? The good news is that Judge Eileen Cannon's corruption is matched by her incompetence, and she's created this whole legal quagmire in her court. And Jack Smith's like, okay, it's fine. It's perfectly allowable to have uh, a grand jury in Washington, D.C., where it relates to subject matter that's relevant to what the grand jury was working on before. And Judge Cannon's been striking all of Jack Smith's under seal filings. So Jack Smith used the opportunity by Judge Cannon asking for that response. Why do you have the D.C. grand jury? Jack Smith answered the question. He goes, well, Judge, it's because employee number four, who's referenced in the superseding indictment, is someone, he doesn't mention the name, but it's Yusel Tavares, the head of IT. Yusel Tavares used to be represented by Stan Woodward. And when Yusel Tavares testified before the Washington, D.C. grand jury back in March of 2023, he lied. So when Woodward was representing Tavares, Tavares lied. Then what happened was in July 5th, after the D.C. presiding judge, Judge Jeb Boesberg, held a Garcia hearing about potential conflicts of interest that exist, guess what happened? Yusil Tavares said, I don't want Stanley Woodward, the Trump paid for lawyer representing me. Yusil Tavares, unlike Carlos de Oliveira, who's now a co-defendant, Tavares realized, wait a minute. So Trump is paying lawyers to represent me, to help Trump and screw me over? It's exactly what's going on. And Tavares learned that when a federal public defender was appointed to him. So then Yusil Tavares told Jack Smith the truth. Hey, Jack Smith, I lied to you back in March of 2023 and to the grand jury. Here's what actually happened. Donald Trump, Waltine Nauta, Carlos de Oliveira were involved in a criminal conspiracy. They wanted me as the head of IT to destroy surveillance footage. They asked me to do that. And that, and I lied to the grand jury when I said that they, I had no knowledge about these classified records or anything about them asking me to destroy surveillance footage. So then after Jack Smith files that, then Stan Woodward like acts pissed off at that and sends this whole rambling brief judge. We need to file a sir reply. Jack Smith's now talking about grand jury proceedings. I kid you not. This is what Stan Woodward said. Jack Smith's now talking about grand jury proceedings in Washington, D.C. He's not allowed to do that. Judge Cannon, you asked for that. That was literally the request that you made. Brief the propriety of it. And she's been striking all of his under seal filings that Jack Smith has tried to make before. And now the Walty Nauta's lawyer is whining about it because he's like, this hurts my reputation. And now people are coming after me and saying that I'm the reason why you sold Tavares didn't tell the truth to the grand jury in March of 23. And that's not the case. And my reputation's harmed. And it's harming all of our reputations. Wow, 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 wow. And you just see, Popak, the difference between like what's going on in this docket in canon. It's like a mess. She's like striking documents. You got people whining and complaining and sir replies and, you know, and, and she's inviting briefing and then people are, and then, then, then the Trump people get upset when Jack Smith responds to a brief. Like it is a mess. And again, it is corruption meets idiocracy here. 
there is not an appealable order yet for Jack Smith to make. So when people go, why hasn't he gone to the 11th Circuit yet? Because there, she hasn't made an order yet that would be called an interlocutory appealable order. So he hasn't been able to do it, but that's coming. We'll see that, I'm sure, in the next two or three weeks with all of the ridiculous orders that she's been making. And again, she's just cr created such disorganization in her docket. And, and that's kind of my overall point about that. But, you know, we learned, of course, through that how Jack Smith was able to get Yusul Tavares, who was not cooperating, in fact, lying to the grand jury to become a cooperating witness and to say, this is this is what happened. And um, that was a big, big development there as well. Popak, final thoughts on that one. Mm, let's see. As I said last week, Stan Woodward was not going to be happy with the filing by the federal government because it, it calls him out as being a bought and paid for Save America PAC Trump lawyer who wasn't representing his client. And they did it by way of showing that there is an obvious conflict because one day, and uh, you can tell from his filing, Stan Woodward hopes that day will never come. Employee number four, Yosil Tavares, is going to take the stand on behalf of the government as a witness for the prosecution to testify about his, his involvement with the conspiracy involving the butler, the maintenance man, and himself to delete the server, uh, the server footage at the request of the boss, which is Donald Trump. And then Stan Woodward would have to cross-examine a former client of his, not just a former, the, spect the spectacle of already, under the, under the rules of professional conduct, cross-examining your own former client who is now effectively testifying against your current client, Walt Nauta. Um, is already not permitted under the rules from a conflict standpoint. But then to tell the complete story, the Department of Justice, because Woodward forced them to, said there's another element here, Judge, which is people only tell the truth when they get out from under a bought and paid for Trump lawyer, which means they are impugning the integrity of Stan Woodward. And I said last week that Stan Woodward is in deep, crap and was not going to like this attack on him. And, and if he doesn't like it, then he's going to hate it now. Because not only is the, has the Department of Justice told the story about what happened in the D.C. Circuit Court with Chief Judge Boesberg, who was presiding over a hearing about a, uh, about a conflict of interest there related to the testimony of employee number four, Tavares, to the grand jury in March. But the judge basically made his own decision that Tavares needed an independent lawyer to consult with. It wasn't that it wasn't so much that the that the client asked for it. Tavares raised his hand and said, I think I need my own lawyer here, Judge. The judge, as an as as the as the head of the court, said, you need to talk to somebody, even if for a moment, about with an independent evaluation about your situation, meaning whether you lied to a grand jury, and I got to get you out from under Mr. Woodward. And so when Tavares came back, he said two things. I fire Mr. Woodward. Although Woodward, Ben, in his papers, said he's not sure that he was canned by Tavares. That's obviously not true. And the second thing he said was, I now need to cooperate with the federal government and tell them and recant my testimony. We have a word, we have a concept in the law for somebody that allows a witness 
to testify untruthfully under oath. It's called suborning perjury. And the government has basically said that Stan Woodward knew or should have known that his client was lying about the server deletion conversation conspiracy and allowed that to be to be given to the grand jury, i.e. suborning perjury, which, by the way, is, is itself a crime. When Stan Woodward jumped up, up and down in a very short filing to try to save his reputation, that's when the, the uh, Department of Justice said, you know what? You want to see the whole transcript of what went down with Judge Boesberg? It's not going to be good for you, Stan. But you want us to do that? We'll give you the whole transcript, Judge, in camera for you to review on your own because certain elements are still sealed. And you seem to have a problem, Your Honor, with sealing things. So why don't you just take a look at it and you'll see what we're talking about. Woodward said, I want one more bite at the apple, which is quite unusual to get what you refer to, Ben, as a sir reply. Normally in motion practice, 99% of the time, you have three pieces of paper. You have the, the initial filing, the motion, Right by whoever's making the motion, we call them the movement. Could be the government, could be the defense. Then you have the opposition paper, which is the paper for the party that didn't make the motion, and then you have a reply, which is which is basically two briefs for the party that has the motion, one brief in the middle for the party that doesn't. You don't normally get a re- a reply to the reply, right? You don't each get two briefs unless you ask for the permission of the judge for what's called the sir reply which is to address something that you should be allowed to address, not just an oral argument if she holds a hearing. And so she allowed the sir reply. This, again, is a study in contrast between how Judge Chutkin in the District of Columbia runs her court, where there's already a protective order in place. There's already documents being, in the, in the much bigger case, there's already document, documents being provided. A trial date will be set, I'm sure, in 2024 on Monday. And other than that, very little commotion, whereas everything down in Florida is a cluster, is a total cluster. And it's because, as you said, because of her inexperience slash mediocrity slash, I don't want to go as far as corruption, but whatever it is, she is, uh, she is, I practice down there. She, she <laughs> let's, be, let's, let's be frank. Uh, she is inviting, inviting shenanigans and things that are improper and then buying into it by giving people additional briefs and driving the government crazy about sealing instead of just running an orderly administration exactly. of justice. And we're seeing it. And, and and that's why I've always, I've recently come to the conclusion and I said it on Wednesday's edition with, with Karen uh, of Legal AF. I said, I am more thinking that, that Jack Smith has has now if he didn't before he certainly now does sees florida as sort of the stalking horse like let's just we'll do everything we got to do down there but that's not my big case my big case i got chutkin i got home court advantage i'm in the district of columbia where i want to be with a jury that i want to pick from this other thing yes it is it's important to the national defense that he be held accountable Donald Trump for yep, the bad bad things true. he did at Mar-a-Lago but I don't think that's any longer Jack Smith's focus. He'll use that though as we said it earlier to whipsaw Donald Trump and his team because that team numerically is outmatched. Look, I've been doing defense for a long time. You're always outmatched with the federal government on the other side because they are the federal government and they have thousands of people, hundreds of people assigned to your case and they have an unlimited budget. 
Um, and so and you, you're going up against them with like your, I'll just talk a little bit about, uh, you're going up against them with a $100,000 retainer that you got from your client, right? The, and, and you and your associate and a paralegal, and you're waging war against the Depart the United States of America. Donald Trump's the same boat, okay? He's got two two lead lawyers, right, in, in for the federal side, both of which have one associate apiece. This is the tiniest of law firms, okay? They, they wouldn't even register on a list of top law firms. They wouldn't even be on the top. I mean, you know, law, so people that know that don't practice the way you and I practice, you know, mega law firms in this country have two to 3,000 lawyers at their disposal. I'm in a mid-sized firm, medium firm. We have 50 lawyers. These guys are four guys, literally four guys with whatever budget that they've been given if they get paid against the United States of America. So Don, so I see Jack Smith not only working, even, even, even if it's not coordinated with, with Fonnie Willis, to whipsaw him there and with Alvin Bragg in New York, but whipsaw him between the two cases. And, and that is only, again, a nurse to the benefit of the United States of America, the Department of Justice. And special counsel Jack Smith filed the case, the grand jury indicted, brought the indictment, the grand jury indicted in the Southern District of Florida. It was assigned to Judge Cannon. He knew that he was going to be bringing the other indictment in Washington, D.C. Didn't know he was going to draw Judge Chutkin, but knew he was bringing the other one. And I just think he was like, look, we got to when it comes to Canon now, she doesn't know what she's doing. And I believe you don't, you don't have to agree with this Popak and she's corrupt. So let's <laughs> take advantage of the fact that also she doesn't know what she's doing. And he told his team, I have no doubt file motion after motion, the, the appropriate motions pressure and then in between and put the pressure on the right way. Yep. But between her and Trump's lawyers, they were going to make the mistakes and that's exactly what has happened, where Donald Trump's lawyers have like made requests of Judge Chutkin in D.C. Hey, Judge, could we file this? No, no. <laughs> she goes, no, stick to Over. the deadlines and then we'll hold the hearing and then we'll show up in court and then we'll have an and then we'll have an orderly proceeding. You know what it's like, Ben, from our other worlds and sports? The Department of Justice has the, the, the brain power and the horsepower and the bandwidth to play uh, full court, uh, fast break basketball from the beginning of the game till the end without any timeouts and any break. And these guys are trying to do at best man to man in two different courts when they're completely outmatched. And that again, inures to the benefit. Same thing, if we're coming up with a theme for today's show, same thing is happening in Fawny Willis's home court of Fulton County, in a state court that she is supreme, that she's at home literally in that courthouse and in that courtroom with Rico, which is her friend. She's sophisticated in that area. She's got an expert on her own staff that she consults with on Rico. She successfully tried up to 20 people in a RICO conspiracy involving bribery in a school board in Georgia. She's already had a dress rehearsal for this type of big, sprawling case like this. And and she advantage Fawny Willis almost at every turn. Even if it goes to federal court, she's got enough people on her staff that have practiced in federal court, and they've been in federal court before. It's not going to throw her for a loop. While each of these people, the best 
lawyers that I have spoken about so far are the ones, I guess, by Donald Trump. Maybe you put Steve Sadow, the new lawyer in Georgia that really represents rappers most of the time, as being in that in that category with Todd Blanche and um, and John Lauro, Chris Keiss having disappeared off the off the face of the earth recently. So if that's his team, it goes down considerably from there as to who's representing the others. Rudy Giuliani's lawyer already said, um, I'm out uh, after the, the initial appearance. Nobody is lining up to represent Kathy Latham or the guy that's still sitting in jail because he can't figure out a way to get himself out of a bond situation, get himself a, you know bonded. Or, or these other cheese bros probably going to try. Cheese bros probably going to be his own lawyer. Rudy Giuliani may end up being his own lawyer. So, the high point of law- lawyering on the defense is is uh, is a Blanche and Lauro, and we've seen them so far not do great, especially in front of Judge Chutkin. And then it drops considerably the quality of lawyering, whereas. Look at everybody on Jack Smith's team. Look at everybody on Fawdy Willis's team. I'm not saying the better lawyers win cases, but I'm saying the better lawyers often win cases. You know, and I think the importance of law and order and where we are in this historical moment is really symbolized, though, in that Trump mugshot and the reaction to the mugshot. You know, most Americans were repulsed by that mugshot. Most Americans look at that and see that this is a malignant, narcissistic, sociopathic, criminal treasonous traitor who has spewed and spread so much hate and division in our country that is going to take such a long time to repair. And it's embodied in that gaze. It's embodied in that look. It's embodied in everything that he and this MAGA strand that has taken over the Republican Party represents. It is not normal behavior, nor is the conduct about what MAGA Republicans did and how they treat that situation afterwards. I mean, you have Donald Trump on social media posting uh, mugs and merch and t-shirts that say never surrender. He, he surrendered. That's That photo is in connection with literally surrendering to Fulton County. Um, and they are spreading the mugshot as though this is a high point for them. They are posting on social media mugshots of, of of them next to other people like other people who have been criminally convicted of things like 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 this is maga right now this is what it means and that's why i don't call these people conservative this is the republican party today this is why i say there has been a paradigm shift in what just american politics are do not call maga republicans conservative there you have don jr a leader of the maga republican party showcasing Donald Trump as a criminal next to other people who have been arrested next to other mugshots. Here you have Alina Haba, Donald Trump's lawyer or spokesperson, saying that she thinks the mugshot is is the greatest thing ever. Here, play this clip. People aren't stupid. The mugshot was probably one of the best things that ever happened to him probably at this point. So thank you, Fanny. First off, her name is Fawny, and they intentionally mispronounce her name over and over again. And for them to say the mugshot is the best thing to happen to him 
and then the way they utilize and and weaponize that I'll show you what went down on the Fox Propaganda Network as well. This is Jesse Waters, and Jesse Waters is like the new Tucker there. And he says how, uh, despite the fact that he has an unblemished record as a heterosexual, that this photograph aroused him. Play this clip. I am now going to book the Fulton County photographer for my Christmas card. (laughs) Because, Judge, and I say this with a unblemished record of heterosexuality he looks good and and he looks hard <laughs> and yeah and 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 that behavior folks is frankly what's inspired me to significantly reduce my own practice of law to do this and to do this education and to build the Midas Touch network to what it is today because that's not normal behavior. And I know that there are forces spending billions of dollars building a propaganda network to push and say things like that. And I know that all of you, like me who watch this, are tired of being gaslit, are tired of having our country uh, being controlled by purely evil, malignant, narcissistic, sociopathic abusers. And we need to take a stand. And that begins also with the civic education and engagement and talking about facts and data and evidence and pushing back against this absurdity. I mean, Donald Trump self-reporting that he's 6'3 and 215 pounds, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the same weight as Muhammad Ali uh, in his prime. I mean, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? The same way he lies about his crowd sizes, the same way he lies about he lies about everything. You know, when I was considering, should we do a, and by the way, when Donald Trump was arraigned in Manhattan District Attorney, he self-reported 240 pounds back in March. I was thinking about, you know, do we do any, what should we do with that, with that mugshot? And ultimately, where I kind of came down on is that's the face of an abuser. You know, that's the face of someone who has been found by a jury to be liable of, of sexual abuse. This is somebody who was handed a trust fund, bankrupted everything, screwed people over his entire life, and then screwed over our incredibly proud and beautiful democracy here that used to be an inspiration to the world. And we're rebuilding that brick by brick here. But he is someone who has caused a great deal of pain and suffering and torture. And it's not funny. It's not a humorous moment. It's not something to spread or share, except under the appropriate context of that individual is a treasonous traitor, criminal who needs to be brought to justice. And anybody who promotes or propagates his hate his lies needs to seriously reflect on their purpose and those who facilitate and spread his crimes 
need to similarly be brought to justice and held accountable. And our commitment here at Legal AF and on the Midas Touch Network is to provide as much resources, as much information, as much education, and as much engagement as part of this beautiful pro-democracy community that you all created to help in that task. And if we could play a small part in that, Michael Popak, myself, and all of our contributors and all of those who work at the Midas Touch Network would be very grateful to play that small part. It's an honor to be here with all of you on this episode of Legal AF. Thank you for everyone who has become a member of our YouTube channel, everyone who has joined our Patreon, patreon.com slash Midas Touch, where we have after show podcasts for the Midas Touch Brothers show, thinking about potentially launching another Patreon for Legal AF. We are doing one for political beatdown. I think it could be fun to have these different communities on Patreon. So that's something we are building. Make sure you go to MidasTouch.com as well. Thanks to all of your support in becoming members of our YouTube, becoming members of our Patreon. Again, Patreon.com slash MidasTouch, gifting other people YouTube memberships. We've been able to take those resources and invest it into creating this website, which is now getting so many views and so much engagement on par with some of the top websites out there. We've been able to hire a whole staff, and that's thanks to, if you want to know, hey, where does what, what is the membership building, you can see the bricks building uh, brick by brick here at the Midas Touch Network, and that's just one of the many examples of what of where we're investing in to increase our reach and to increase the reach of all of our, our reporting here. Thank you all so, so much. Subscribe right now to the Midas Touch Network. Make sure you download Legal AF wherever audio podcasts are available. All you do is you search Legal AF, hit subscribe. Listen to it when you're in the car, when you're walking, at home, or wherever. Make sure you subscribe to Legal AF on the podcast as well. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Mighty.